Welcome to the Dread Law Show. I'm your host, Thomas Moskal, former Chief Deputy District Attorney here in Las Vegas, former lead DUI death prosecutor. And we're talking about all things law because I am the law judge, jury, and executioner. That's just a throwback to the Judge Dread Show where they toss the Constitution out and, uh, you know, they streamline the process just a little bit there. I now practice criminal defense here in Las Vegas, and we're talking all things law here, baby. And here we are, trapped in the amber of this moment. So, you know, I was um, hanging out over the weekend, and, uh, you know, I'm dating this girl, and she, uh, she asks me uh, who my hall pass is, and... Every guy has probably gotten this question from every girl they've ever dated. And I'm going to tell you guys, here's a little tip for you, some advice. Don't answer that question truthfully. Don't answer it. Because she's not really asking you who your hall pass is. Who, if you had the chance to sleep with, to bed down some celebrity, you would be given free reign and opportunity to do so. She's not asking you to really be honest about that. That question really means she wants to tell you who she would be able to get with. That's all it is. But you got to answer first. And so I always say, you know, the safe answer I go with all the time is Alyssa Milano. Right? I mean, look, Alyssa Milano is like, what? She's got to be in her 50s now. She's still relatively good looking. Women think she's good looking. So it's not this offensive pick. You're not picking this 19-year-old Victoria's uh, secret model showing that you're still scoping everybody. It's this boyhood crush from 30 years ago. Everybody had a crush on Alyssa Milano. So you say it. And it kind of gets you off the hook. Yeah, she's 50 years old, man. And um, so that's the safe answer. And then you give her the opportunity to say who she was going to go ahead and get with, right? And you just ended at that. But guys, don't be honest about that. Really, the last, you know, don't even look like you're giving it a lot of thought. Just keep Alyssa Milano in your back pocket. Um, anything younger than that, I mean, you could probably go with J-Lo if you wanted to, you know. Super unattainable. Women seem to think that she's real hot, Um Who's the lead singer of the Pussycat Dolls? That's a safe answer to go with. Uh, women really dig her. You know, there's a there's a lot of heterosexual women who would like still kind of mess around with, uh, you know, J-Lo or Nicole Scherzinger. That's her name. So, yeah, beware the hall pass question, man. I got it again this weekend, and uh, I'm well prepared because this is not my first rodeo. I've been through the fire many times. So, that's the safe answer, Alyssa Milano. And here we are. We're going to talk some things law. And uh, we got a couple stories here in Vegas I wanted to share with you. Some things happened. And um, this is a World War II veteran. This guy, he's 101 years old. He survives World War II. And he's, he's a centenarian. And here he is. He gets killed over the weekend here in Las Vegas. He's at a he's at a red light. His car stopped. He gets he rear-ended by somebody who's fleeing the scene of a robbery, being chased by police. Rear-ends the guy. He suffers injury, breaks his neck. He dies at sunrise. And look, this guy was a captain in World War II. He's driving home with his wife. Thank God she's still alive. They're stopped at a red light at sunset in Stephanie. And his 29-year-old robbery suspect smashes in the rear of their car, pushes him into a pole. This robbery suspect jumps out of the car. Uh, starts brandishing a firearm at police, gets shot herself, and now here she is, uh, you know, they're reporting that she has been charged with a uh, robbery with a deadly weapon, conspiracy to commit robbery with a deadly weapon, grand larceny of a motor vehicle, meaning she stole the car she was running in, and possession of a gun by a prohibited person, which means uh, she's not supposed to have a firearm, which means either she had a domestic violence charge or she has a felony conviction in her past, right? So she wasn't supposed to have the firearm. 
Uh, and I, I looked at the pictures when they came out in the RJ, and I saw that my boy John Giordani uh, from the Major Violators Unit at the Clark County DA's office, he appeared in court, and she's just in the courtroom like, she's doing the home alone thing with her faces when, she, when she's getting arraigned in court. Uh, look, she's really facing it. The one thing the RJ left out, and I guess that they, maybe they haven't, uh, filed this charge yet, but if you're fleeing the scene of a robbery, you're still in the course of getting away from it and somebody gets killed. It doesn't matter if you intended it or not, which is what happened here. It's called felony murder. And that's why John Giordani, the DA is on the case because he is a major violators unit prosecutor. They prosecute homicides mostly and some of the real serious non-homicide crimes, like really high-profile stuff, but mostly homicides. So felony murder is coming down the pipeline, and what felony murder means is first-degree murder. That's what it equals. Look, anybody out there thinking about committing a robbery, going to you know rob some store that ain't got money anyway, and you go out there, if somebody dies during the course of that robbery, whether you're the one that killed them or your boy went ahead and killed them, or whatever happened, you're trying to get away in the getaway car like this, you crash into somebody, they die, it's first-degree murder. And it's super easy to prove for the prosecutors. Was there a robbery being committed? What Did somebody die during the course? Was it foreseeable to happen? And yeah, so this this guy, he survived World War II. He's living into his hundreds, and here he is, taken out, sitting at a red light in his vehicle. Uh, sad. You know, when I read that, I sat because, you know, I mean, we don't like to see anybody die. But for a guy to come through all of that and then to to go out that way, I mean, I guess there's worse ways maybe to go. Um, you know, hopefully it was sudden. But geez, man. So that's fel- the felony murder rule. That means if you're committing a robbery, somebody gets killed during that robbery, you're on the hook for first degree murder. Uh, so. Yeah, I'm not seeing her really going to trial on those charges. Her defense attorneys are probably going to try to um, get some kind of deal to not first-degree murder for her. Uh, but this is tough, man. This is tough. And there she is, you know, home alone out, tattoos on the knuckles, uh, tattoo on the face, tattoo on the forearms. Look, you know, the spider tattoo on the elbow. Look, I don't have anything against tattoos, but when you show up in the court after killing somebody and you're tatted up like that, uh, it does not bode well for you when you go to our jury trial. I'll tell you that. You know, I'm, I'm also streaming here on TikTok Live, Las Vegas criminal lawyer, and uh, I got Scorpio Patriot says, who am I talking about? And this is just a World War II veteran here in Las Vegas. Uh, his name was, uh, let's, let's, let's give him some respect, um, Muskin, Herbert Muskin. He was a U.S. Army captain in World War II, uh, driving home with his wife, and struck from behind by somebody who's committing a robbery. And, you know, the one thing that they're really not saying here is, uh, it says Las Vegas police officers spotted the vehicle near Paradise in East Sahara. They tried to stop it and followed the car until it collided with Muskin's vehicle in Henderson. Now, there's this rule nowadays that you cannot, police cannot go in hot pursuit. And this is exactly why they don't do hot pursuits anymore. And the criminals kind of know this. So somebody who's a really hardened criminal, they... Like, they commit a robbery, they, they know if they get in a hot pursuit, usually the police are going to create some kind of bubble, um, uh, some kind of bubble around where they're not directly pursuing, but they have an air unit in the sky, they know where this person is, they're using their radios, and they're just making the bubble, they're not doing the high-speed chase. Because, you know, innocent people were get their lives put at risk when the police do that. So, you know, that's left to be seen. It says they were following, they tried to stop her, then they followed Uh, Was there a chase going on? Uh, We'll follow the story a little bit more as it comes out. But man, home alone, Kevin! But she has that look. 
Oh, you know, he just put the, what, the aftershave on his face? Yeah. Another thing that happens a lot here in Vegas, a lot, is this thing called trick rolls. Uh, you ever heard of a trick roll, Numchuck? No, I've heard of trick rolled, but I haven't heard of trick rolled. You never heard of trick roll. Okay, well, you're getting rolled, which means you're getting robbed. Okay. Or it's not really a robbery, but you're getting rolled, means stuff's getting stolen from me, and it's done by a trick. Uh, okay. And do you know what a trick is? Yeah. You do? Yeah. Yeah, I figured, man. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Look. A trick roll is really a prostitute theft. And man, they it's open season down at the strip. It's it's open season down at the strip. These prostitutes are all over the place. And I'll tell you, you know what? I've actually read this when I was a prosecutor. Uh, they are actually targeting older guys that they think are from out of town, preferably out of the country, right? And sometimes they say, look for a guy with khaki shorts that still comes like a little bit below his knee. Isn't that funny? I've read that. That's, that. that's their strategy. They're like, that guy probably has, they're looking for Rolex watches. That guy probably has some money. He's got a bunch of poker chips up in his room. And these prostitutes kind of target, flirt. And these guys are usually easy marks because a lot of these guys have girls back home, wherever they're from. And so it's like the perfect theft, right? You steal from a guy who doesn't want to report it to police. And even if he reports it to police, he doesn't want prosecutors and police calling him in at his home. Be like, uh, his wife going, hey, honey, the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police are on the phone. They want to talk to you about um, something that happened in Vegas. I don't know. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, yeah. Give me that phone, babe. Give me that phone. And he gets on the phone. He's like, yeah, what's this about? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know I reported that, but you can't be calling me here. It's like, well, like, well, they're following up on the investigation. You're not prosecuting this this prostitute anymore. The the state of Nevada is prosecuting. And so a lot of these, these guys don't want to come back to prosecute. And these prostitutes know that. And so that's the trick role. And um, they'll operate in units. And so here we go. Uh, I just saw this in the RJ today. Woman accused of stealing $103,000 from strip hotel room, police say. A man had $103,000 in cash in his hotel room. And he brings this suspected prostitute. Yeah, he brings this prostitute up to his room. And he calls police a few moments later to say she stole a black duffel bag that had $103,000 in it that he won on bets at the MGM Grand. Okay, well, so how did this go down? Let's just, well, let's just read the report and then we'll break the report down. Uh... The man and the girl agreed to get a room and drove to the Tropicana since all the rooms of the MGM Grand were booked. He won all this money MGM Grand. He attempted to hide the duffel bag once they got inside the room. And when he's going to his car to get something, he attempted to take the bag with him. And the prostitute becomes upset. She goes, well, you don't trust me around your money. So the man stayed in the room instead of taking, uh, going to the car. And then he goes to take a shower. All right. This is trick roll 101. Baby, you got to go take a shower. All right. You want to get with this? I need you to be clean. You got to go take a shower. These guys go hop in the shower and this is when these girls go to work. Okay. So he's in the shower. He hears his duffel bag being moved. He gets out of the shower and looks. Guess what? Gone. Duffel bag and the girl. And 
Uh, they did a record search of the, her phone number. Look, she's got multiple priors, including a lot of trespasses. Okay, so this is how you know it's a prostitute, right? This is what they do. They get trespassed off these properties over and over and over and over again. They don't even mind getting trespassed at this point. It's just like a cost of doing business. Um, and now she's arrested, and it's one hundred and three grand. But you got to ask yourself as a guy, like, the girl gets incensed and says, you don't trust me? Around your $103,000 that you just won? How dare you? It's like, no, I don't trust you. You sell your VJJ for like, what is it? $400, $500, dollars up here? I was like, I'm thinking you're looking at me like I'm pretty much a piece of you know what. So any chance to get one over on me, you're going to do it. No, I'm not leaving you in my room with $103,000. And yes, I'm going to be very frank with you. I don't trust you around my $103,000, girl. I just met you down the street, okay? I just met you down the street. Uh, but these guys do that, that, and that's what a trick roll here in Vegas is. A trick roll is when a prostitute gets a guy up to his room, and they steal stuff out of his room, and they leave. And usually they're targeting Rolex watches. Uh, they have really... Uh, they're really good at getting the safes open. Somehow they're able to uh, get the combinations pretty quickly. So when the guy hits the shower or they like to get the guy really drunk too, you know, have him drunk, have him out of his mind. And then, um, and then go to work while he's drunk and passed out. You know, they like to work in pairs, you know, Hey, how about instead of just paying for me, I got my girlfriend with me. Bring us both up. The guy goes, ah, yeah, yeah, that sounds good. You know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Yeah, that's what the trick rollers, trick rollers are thinking, too. Whatever crime they commit here in Vegas, they're going to get away with because everything's staying in Vegas. You don't want to go home, especially let's say you're an Indian guy from India, right? And you're not flying back here to prosecute this case. You definitely don't want the authorities contacting you at all. And so, you know, guys got to watch out for that, man. I mean, this is, they're more about that than the business. What is it called? The oldest business in the history of man. They're more about, I wonder how, how far back trick rolling actually goes. What was trick rolling back, like back, uh, you know, 2,600 years ago? I'm sure the same thing was going on. Right. Uh, you know, uh, but yeah, they said, uh, Scorpio Patra says, why would he tell her about the money? Well, you know, I, that boggles the mind, right? I mean, obviously, maybe this guy is not a veteran. Uh, what do they call it? Whoremonger, right? He's not a veteran. He doesn't know how to conduct himself. But yeah, you know, you win something. It's like winning the lottery. You win. You got $103,000 in a duffel bag in cash. Dude, you usually get security to walk you out, walk you to your car, because this city is filled with predators down there at the strip. But yeah, trick roll 101. Two girls take a guy up to his room. They've targeted him. He's got on khaki shorts that are falling below the knee. That means, you know, he hasn't really updated his fashion since the last time he was trying to be fashionable, which means he's probably in his 40s or 50s at this point. He's probably got a little bit of dough. He's vacationing here in Vegas. And at the very least, he's going to have some poker chips up there, right? And so, you know, Miss Kelly says, what is this guy thinking? He's not thinking. He's not thinking with the head up top. Right? You got the alcohol in them. That's why it's the perfect crime. Another example of a perfect crime that can be committed by people are these home poker games, right? Home poker games get raided by armed robbers all the time in ski masks because the home poker games themselves are illegal. So how can you even report this? How can a criminal report that they they're committing a crime and been robbed in the course of this crime? How are they going to even report that to police? 
right? So this is the same thing. Like these guys, they're actually committing a crime by soliciting prostitution, right? So they're committing a crime plus the more the moral ambiguity. Uh, I'm not going to say ambiguity. I'm trying to search for the word. Um, just morally, they're feeling like they're in the wrong. So to call the police it has to be substantial. Um, you know, I, I prosecuted a case, a trick role that I prosecuted a long time ago. Um, kid comes to Vegas and his dad, he comes to Vegas with two friends of his and he's like 21, 22 years old. And his dad decided to let his son take the Rolex watch and take it to Vegas. Like be, be flashy out there in Vegas. I mean, this is obviously a dad who has no idea that it's survival of the fittest is the, is the dang animal kingdom out here in the real world that you're sending your son into. Uh, yeah, be extra flashy when you hit there in Vegas. So it gives him this $80,000 Rolex watch and the kid gets separated from his friends. He gets real drunk. He takes, he takes two or two or three girls up to his room and they end up stealing the watch. He reports it. Security tries to catch these girls. I think a couple of them get away. They end up catching one. They take her to jail, but guess what? The watch nowhere to be found. And the, I contact the kid as a prosecutor and because we contact the victims and I ask him, he goes, look, all he wants is the watch back, right? It was his dad's watch. He's totally embarrassed by everything. He doesn't care what happens in the case. Is there any way to get the watch back? And so I sit there, I try to get him some justice. So I talked to the defense attorney. I said, look, any chance of getting this watch back? Defense attorney says, well, maybe I haven't asked her about it. I said, look, she gives the watch back. I'll pretty much dismiss the case, man. The defense attorney goes, ooh, dismiss the case. Well, I'll go talk to my client. So he talks to the client, gets back to me a few days later, says, how can I be assured we can get the watch back? Can I be assured that um, this case will be dismissed? And I go, yeah, I give you my word, man. Okay, but I got to get the watch back. So he goes, all right, here we go. Handshake deal. Guess where this watch is? He goes, it's in her property at the county jail. I go, how could it be in her property? They searched her when they arrested her. It's, she buried it in her wig. Now, Numchuck just made a, a very peculiar move where he kind of tucked his fingers up into, I guess, if he had a, you know, female anatomy. And that's interesting. We'll get to that because that is a lot of times what happens. Um, but no, she just hit it in her wig. I guess they didn't search the wig very well. And so now here she is getting a dismissal because count, police and county jail officials have not thoroughly searched the wig they put in her property. They go down there. I, I tell one of the officers, go down, find it. They get the watch out. It is the watch. I return it. She gets the case dismissed. And I go, dang, could have had her because she's been trick rolling guys left and right. Uh, but I really wanted to get this kid his watch back. And um, all I remember is the officer, he called me. He goes, yeah, we just found the watch. He goes, smells god-awful. I go, you didn't have to tell me that, man. You didn't have to tell me that. So we'll go back to what Numchuck was saying. Numchuck said, you know, they kind of hide. We call it the new purse, right? This is the new purse. When trick rollers steal a watch from a guy and they think they're about to be caught or they're just trying to make it out of the room, what they do is they... um they shove it up into their female anatomy, right? Uh, and so that's where they hide these Rolex watches to get it off the property. And um, I've seen trick roll cases where the, the prostitutes are macing uh, the victim. Like he's coming out to chase them. Now they mace him and they try to report that this guy is basically harassing me. I'm trying to leave the room. Uh, so there's all kinds of stuff. So fellas, fellas, 
If you live here in Vegas or you're planning a vacation here in Vegas, take it from me, former prosecutor, now criminal defense attorney. Don't get caught up in this, man. Don't get caught up in this. Like, yes, you think like it's just all these prostitutes and sexes for sale out here. Man, these are very ulterior motives going on. And when you go up to your room, you can't have cash. These girls are not looking to hook up with you and just may I'm not saying that doesn't happen, but I'm just saying you have to be aware, be aware of your surroundings. And so if you're super drunk or you got the, or are you one of those guys? Do you still wear khakis? that are a little baggy and fall below the knee. Is that what you're wearing? You know, you haven't transferred up to be above the knee. You know, fashion always rotates around. If you're one of those guys, you're what we call a mark. So beware, beware. Um, Again, if you want to be part of the conversation, you want to call in. We got the studio line, 702-221-7283. That's 702-221-7283. And just call in if you want to comment. Uh, What I really want to get into now is, you know, my expertise when I was a prosecutor and now is uh, I'm an expert in DUI law. So I want to get into some of the basics of you know, what a person, if you got a DUI right now, what you're facing and how DUI law works in general, as far as how the penalties go. So let's say you get your first DUI offense. If it's your first DUI offense, you have no prior DUIs whatsoever, uh, or you don't have any, or maybe you have a DUI conviction, but it's outside of what we call seven years. You're facing a first offense DUI. And the penalties for that are you know, up to six months in jail, but you're not going to see jail time, right? You're not going to see jail time. I mean, I'm going to say that 99.9% of cases. You're going to see a fine uh, with court fees and costs. We're looking at about $600. Uh, you're going to have to take a couple online classes, and then you're probably going to have some period maybe of staying out of trouble. And that just means you better not get arrested. Don't pick, don't pick up a new case until this case is closed. Otherwise, you will have that jail sentence imposed. And the the easiest way for you to go to jail on this first time DUI is when you're on that stay out of trouble order, you pick up a new case or you come back to court, you don't have what you're supposed to have done or you don't come back to court. It's really after the fact is how you face your jail time. Other than the other than when you get arrested for DUI, you get taken to jail that night. It's a pretty harrowing experience for people. Uh, people call me all the time. They say, my 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 loved one, my my girlfriend, my wife, uh, you know, she uh, she's been arrested for DUI. What can I do to get her out? They call me. It's like midnight, ten thirty at night, one in the morning. And look, the answer is you can't do anything to get them out. You can't do anything to get them out. You can't bail them out. What's going to happen is they're going to be held and they're going to be given a breathalyzer in jail every couple of hours so the blood alcohol com- content comes down to zero, and then they're going to be released on their own recognizance. Okay. You can't bail them out. They're going to be released OR, but they, by statute, they have to serve that time in jail because they have to be sober by the time they're let out. When they get in front of a judge, they're going to be OR. So there's nothing you can do to bail your loved one out on a first, on a first offense misdemeanor DUI or even a second offense misdemeanor DUI. So second offense misdemeanor DUI, what does it mean? What does it mean? Uh, if you get arrested, charged with second offense misdemeanor DUI, it means you have another DUI conviction within the last seven years. Uh, and now you have a second offense. So it's still a misdemeanor. The penalties go up a little bit. Uh, instead of doing two days in jail, you're supposed to do 10 days in jail. Uh, your fine is supposed to be, you know, instead of a minimum of $400, it's a minimum of $600. You're still going to do that couple of classes. You're still going to have that stay out of trouble order. And by statute, you're supposed to get evaluated now to go into this drug treatment program. 
that we have in the courts is a specialty court program. You're evaluated for it. So they're going to see, do you have a substance abuse problem? Do we need to put you into this court program? Again, the likelihood of you doing jail time on a second offense is slim to none, right? Uh, the likelihood of you doing um, the evaluation for the program, a lot of times you're not going to have to do that because they're trying to get you to plead guilty. So they're going to throw you a bone. Uh, it's leverage for them. They go, Hey, we'll waive the evaluation. You don't have to do the evaluation. So what they do is this, they go, we're going to reduce your charge from a second offense to a first offense, but we're going to treat it for a second offense for purposes of enhancement. And that's what happens when you have a second offense DUI. Now, when you get a third offense DUI, it means you have two convictions within the last seven years. When you get a third offense DUI, it's a felony. Third offense DUI. Now you're looking at mandatory prison one to six years. You're looking at a fine of at least two to five thousand dollars is mandatory. You're looking at when you do end up getting released, you're going to have a breath interlock device on your car for a period of uh, one to three years. But there's a diversionary program here in Clark County and in a lot of states where if you want to enter this treatment program, you get evaluated. You're probably going to be approved. You got three DUIs in seven years. Then you're going to this treatment program and you're going to do intense counseling, intense drug monitoring intense um, court monitoring and it's going to go on for three to five years. And if you successfully complete it, you won't have the felony on your record, but it's still going to be treated for enhancement purposes. So the paper calls me all the time and goes, how does this guy with seven DUIs, how does he, how is he only charged with DUI third offense? Well, that's easy. You've been arrested for seven DUIs. What defense attorneys are trying to do and what a lot of times is being done for people, especially first-time offenders, is you're having DUI offenses reduced down to reckless driving. So since you have a reckless driving conviction, it can't be used to enhance the future DUIs. So let's say you had a DUI eight years ago. It got reduced to reckless driving. Then you had another DUI three years ago. It got reduced to reckless driving. Then you had another DUI. It's going to be charged as DUI first offense. That's the way the enhancement works. Now, once you have a DUI third offense, even if you go through that treatment program, they have another category of DUIs. This is felony DUI with a prior DUI felony. This is a serious charge. You got you are charged with DUI and you have a felony DUI from the past. Either it was a DUI third offense or it was a DUI where you, you uh, killed somebody or you substantially injured somebody. Now you're facing felony DUI. And this thing does not have a diversionary program. This is mandatory prison, two to 15 years. Of course, you got the mandatory fine, the breath interlock device, but it's mandatory prison, two to 15 years. The minimum you're going to do is two years. And this is serious because prosecutors are very reluctant to reduce these cases because you already have a documented history. That's why you're being treated with a felony DUI. You need to... Really take some time and weigh out all your options with this, because if you get in front of a judge without a deal, the judges like to sentence recidivists to a lot more than the minimum. A lot of them like to do that. So that's that's the fourth tier. And if you go into the DUI third program and you get it reduced to a DUI second, you complete that diversionary program, it it will still be used to enhance your next DUI to this felony DUI. We call it once a felon, always a felon. Once a felon DUI, always a felon DUI. So it doesn't matter if it was reduced. It doesn't matter if it was 15 years ago. It doesn't matter if it was 30 years ago. If you're just out there on the street, 
you have a something in your system, you could be sitting at a red light and get in a rear end fender bender. You're now facing two to 15 years mandatory prison time. So now we have the really egregious DUIs where people get hurt and killed. Okay. DUI resulting in substantial bodily harm or death. These are cases where someone's out there, they're under the influence and they are at fault in the accident. And they don't even have to be 100% at fault, just partly at fault in the accident. And somebody gets hurt or killed. It could be the passenger in their car. It could be somebody in the other car. It could be a pedestrian. If they suffer substantial bodily harm or death, you're facing mandatory prison 2 to 20 years. Okay? And so that's a large penalty range. And what it, what it means is that when you kill somebody, you're usually facing the upper end of that range. And when there are injuries that qualify as substantial bodily harm, but they're kind of not as serious, you might be looking at the lower end of that range. And they're going to take your criminal history into it. But those are, those are really serious offenses uh, because in those cases, unlike all the other DUIs, these cases actually have a victim. And when you have a victim in a case, there has to be retribution. And victims ha- kind of have a say-so with the DA's office on what's going to happen with their case. So DUI resulting in substantial bodily harm and death, super serious case. Uh, you're likely going to do some serious prison time on it. Prosecutors very reluctant to reduce those charges uh, because you do have a victim in the case. And whenever you commit a DUI, um, when, there's, some, there's something on the statutes. Whenever you commit a DUI, if you have a minor in the car under 14 years by statute, the judge is supposed to consider that as an aggravator in your sentence. That means whatever sentence the judge would normally impose on you, they're supposed to notch it up by statute. Does that always happen in practice? No, it doesn't. But know that if you have a minor in the car, when you commit DUI by statute, this is going to be an aggravator on your sentence. And this is something where if you have a minor in the car, in addition to it being an aggravator, what's going on a lot nowadays is People are being charged with child abuse and neglect. It's really called child neglect. And it's a felony. It's a Category B felony. And the way the Supreme Court hinted at it years ago that it could be done, uh, they hinted at an opinion that had nothing to do with DUI. But basically they said, uh, look, you're responsible for the kid. You're putting the kid in a situation where he could be harmed by being under the influence behind the wheel and you put him in the car with you. That, by definition, is child neglect. So... When you have a minor in the car and you're DUI, you're potentially facing felony child abuse and neglect charges, and they're charging that more and more and more nowadays. More and more and more nowadays. And so that's kind of like the gamut of what you could face when you're facing DUI. You have your first offense. Look, a lot of times you might get cut a break by prosecutors, depending on the case. Uh down to a reckless driving, but a prosecutor sees that you have a reckless driving offense, like one was reduced in the past, they're going to be looking to not reduce your next one, right? And so that first offense, you do a couple classes and you, and you pay the fine and you stay out of trouble. Uh, but you know, in addition to that, you have this DMV process. So every time you get a, if you get arrested for DUI out there, you're going to have two separate things going on. You're going to have your criminal case, and then you're going to have your DMV case. And DMV is all about license revocation. All right? So the police officer is going to submit your case to the prosecutors and also to the DMV. And here's how it works at the DMV. They are going to revoke your license based on a couple of things. Number one, did you come back on your breath test over 
Did you come back on your blood test over 0.08? Or did you refuse to give a breath test or a blood test? Did you refuse to do that? And this is called implied consent law. If you refuse to give consent for a blood or breath test out there and the officer has reason to believe that you're under the influence, you automatically have your license revoked for one year. It's called implied consent. You have implied your consent to a blood or breath breath test if they suspect your DUI by just driving on the streets and having a license. It's in the law. Now you can always you can always revoke that consent and you can refuse to consent, but you're gonna face an administrative penalty. And this is constitutionally approved. So that's one year right off the bat. Then they go get a search warrant. Then they get your blood because if somebody's refusing to consent, you can't force them to breathe into a breath machine. They're just going to get your blood. And if the blood comes back over 0.08, now you're facing two DMV violations. Refusing to consent to a test and also being over the limit, which carries 185 days. So now you have one year suspension and 185 days. And if you lose at your DMV hearings on those, you're going to have a year and a half of having a breath interlock device on your car. You have to go get it installed. And I'm saying you don't have to. You could just have your license revoked. But once your license is revoked, the only way you can get a temporary license is you have to get an SR-22, which means your insurance company acknowledges that you're a high-risk driver, and you got to get the breath interlock device installed on your car. Then you can drive. So it's a year and a half. What we do as attorneys is as soon as you... um, As soon as you contact a defense attorney, they're going to go, all right, well, I got to request a DMV hearing because your license is going to be revoked. Uh, If you took a breath test, they give you about seven days to drive on your license as is. They'll give you a pink sheet of paper. If you took a blood test, your license won't be revoked at all until the blood test results come back in. If you refuse to consent, it's going to be revoked that night. Either way, you're entitled to a hearing. So what we do is we'll request a hearing from the DMV. As soon as they get that request, then they put a stay on your revocation until the hearing happens. So you're going to be allowed to drive as if it's not revoked until we have the hearing. And then we have the hearing and maybe we win, maybe we lose. If we lose, well, I already told you what the consequences are. You're going to have to get that breath interlock device installed, SR-22. If we win, your license is never suspended by the DMV. Okay. But they're really hard to win, really hard to win. So because you don't have any constitutional rights, really, at DMV hearing. It's an administrative hearing. Fourth Amendment doesn't apply. Could have been an illegal search and seizure. Doesn't matter. Uh, your Sixth Amendment right to confront witnesses against you. Now you don't have that. You're not going to be able to confront witnesses. They're going to accept a lot of just documentary evidence and hearsay. Uh, and so really all they need is one officer to come into the hearing. And they do them telephonically. So they just call the officer on the phone. So it's not like even the officer has to make the drive down there. And all they have to prove is a couple things. Was there reason to believe you were driving? Reason to believe you were under the influence? Was the test result over 08? And or did you refuse to consent to the uh, test? Those three things, it's a wrap on you. Uh, you could try to appeal those, but even if you win the appeal, they usually the AG steps in, appeals it up to the Supreme Court. And at the end of the day, if you win that appeal, all they do is have another hearing for you, and then they do it the right way. Uh, so really difficult to win, but... You win them sometimes. It's the best thing to request the hearing because, look, a lot of times the officers do not pick up the phone. <laughs> a lot of times that happens. So your license will never be suspended. Um, I'm seeing – oh, I'm getting a question off TikTok. If you have a DUI first offense and before you made it to trial, you get another DUI, is it a first two? Yeah, technically, yes, it is a first offense also. It is. Uh, you'll have two first offenses out there. But here's how the statute works. 
Using a DUI offense to enhance another DUI offense doesn't matter the timing of it, right? So let's say uh, they convict you on the DUI offense that happened later in time. Now they can upgrade the one that was before it. They can upgrade that one, as long as it's within the seven years of each other, to a DUI second offense now. And so all they have to do is get a conviction on one. They upgrade the other one. Another thing that happens, too, is uh, just because the prosecutors haven't upgraded your DUI first offense doesn't necessarily mean they can't use both offenses to enhance you later, right? Uh, What you would want is some kind of agreement that, um, you know, both offenses would be treated as first offenses for all purposes. You'd want to get that into the record, right? Um, I... I have I have clients and I have prosecuted people who've had more than two DUI offenses, three or four DUI offenses that are all done before the first one ever goes to trial. And so, you know, when you have somebody who has three DUI first offenses, potentially what can happen is they'll convict you on one, then they'll convict you on another one, then they'll upgrade your third one to a felony DUI third offense, right? So these are all the calculations that your attorney needs to make in order to get you the best outcome that you can have, right? So... um you know, get some questions off TikTok. Listen, the number is 702-221-7283 if you want to call into the show. Uh, 702-221-7283. Um, you know, another question is, why would the DA not want to continue with charges? I've seen three, and they either reduce or drop. Um, well, you know, I'm not completely clear on what you're asking there. Um, a lot of charges will get reduced. And what it comes down to this is what I say all the time. What Denzel said at training day. There's what we know, and there's what we can prove. And we know your DUI. We see the evidence, but can we prove it? And this goes back to what I was saying with the DMV hearings. You don't have the right of confrontation of the DMV, but guess what? You do at your criminal trial. All the witnesses need to come into your criminal trial. You don't have the right of the Fourth Amendment, unreasonable search and seizures. You can't challenge the search warrant at the DMV. You can't challenge the voluntariness of your consent at the DMV. But guess what? In the criminal trial, you can't. And if you can win that or show the threat of that, then a DA, you know, instead of moving forward on that case, it's a little bit messy. They decide to reduce the charge because what we knew as DAs when I was a prosecutor is, look, yeah, I offer the guy reckless driving, but really what he's doing is he's pleading no contest to the DUI charge. And then we are staying the adjudication, which means he's not adjudicated guilty. And now he has to take these steps, A, B, C, D, E. And a lot of times, there's a certain percentage of those people who are not going to complete A, B, C, D, E. And then I'm going to get them adjudicated on the DUIs anyway. And at the very least, at least I have them tagged with a reckless driving. If I thought there was going to be an issue where I was going to get a not guilty because witnesses weren't going to be available or the blood was going to get thrown out of the case, um, then uh, at least I got a reckless driving charge. Because what the defendant and the defense attorney are thinking like, yeah, maybe there's a chance we could win, but there's a chance we could lose. So can we end up without the DUI conviction? It's always great to not end up with a DUI conviction on your record. A couple reasons. Number one, background checks, right? They see a DUI on your record, it's going to look different for employment opportunities for you, especially if you have any kind of driving. But a lot of companies look at DUI and they frown on it. Travel. There are some countries that where that pulls up when you're trying to get into another country. They see a DUI arrest is considered more serious than a reckless driving offense. Uh, number three, sealing your record for purposes of background checks. If you have a DUI on your record, you can't seal it until seven years after your case is closed. 
If you have a reckless driving on your record, you can seal it one year after your case is closed. So those are three really big differences. And that's why people, instead of trying to take the chance at a trial on their DUI, they go ahead and accept a plea to the reckless driving. And that's that's the plea negotiation system and everything. Um, let me see. To a moving, I'm going to have to charge you for this uh, legal advice. You know, uh, actually, I'm a disclaimer. None of this advice is legal advice, even though I am a lawyer. All right. So consult with an attorney. Uh, but let me see. To a moving violation or parking ticket. Sorry, just personal experience. Yeah. I mean, you can get prosecutors reduced down. Um, it's very rare because they kind of know everybody's going to take the reckless driving. So it's hard to get it reduced past the reckless driving unless you're pointing out some serious issues. Um, we, I had a, we had a saying in the prosecutor's office when I was there. We're like, you just start the word reckless, like, and they're already like, accepted. Like, the defense attorneys are already emailed. Before you can even hit send on your email, like, they've already emailed back that they're accepting the reckless driving offer, right? No matter what kind of conditions you attach to it, like, they're going for it. Um, and so prosecutors really have no incentive to go lower than that to a failure to use due care or a parking ticket. I mean... I've gotten some of those results from my clients, but I'll tell you, it's super, super rare. Like you have to have a really great case and be able to show the prosecutor, like they're basically not going to be able to prove this case at all. Uh, but in that arena, if you really think the prosecutor can't prove their case, maybe you should just go straight for the not guilty. Maybe I mean, it's all on a case by case basis, right? Uh, so Ovi, uh, from TikTok, he says no advice, uh, just went through this with my ex, but you're making it all make sense. Yeah, I guess you, I guess an ex for a reason. Look, a lot of normal people get DUIs, man. And I think, I think some of these DUI offenses, somebody gets a DUI. Look, they're not a criminal. They go to jail for the first time in their life. They stay in jail for 12 hours. They're in there with the prostitutes. The trick rollers are in there going, Hey, honey, you don't look like you're supposed to be here. And these trick roller prostitutes are on a first name basis with the uh, correctional officers. Like they're in there so often and you're sitting there going, I sh I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not supposed to be here. And you come out of jail, you get let go. And then, you know, you hire an attorney. And then a couple months later, your DMV hearing comes by, you lose. Now you got to go. Your insurance rates hike up. You got to go put a breath interlock device on your car. Now you're blown into a breath interlock device to start your car. Every three minutes when you're driving, you're blowing into it. Um, and then you still have your criminal case going on, right? And then your criminal case is like, depending on the facts of your case, the prosecutor's like, we're trying to stick you with a DUI conviction. You just want to get it over with. You just want to go back on with your life. And I think that changes a lot of people. I really think it changes a lot of people. Uh, it's a lot to go through man it's a lot to go through question for you yeah the dui the breathalyzers for the cars yeah couldn't you just have a passenger do it or does it have like a dna kind of thing where when you blow it reads well, your DNA? it's not dna but they put a camera in your car okay okay so there's a camera that points right at the driver's at the, seat yeah and you're basically instructed to like not bend down or you anything like yeah. yeah like stand up yeah. we want to see who's blowing into it uh, I've seen a lot of cases where they get somebody else to blow into it and um, you might get away with it because maybe they're not checking it every single time. Yeah. But there are people that go back and review it. And yes, if you allow somebody else to blow into it, it's going to be a violation. And what are you going to be facing on that violation, though? See, this is the thing that nobody really talks about. So you have a breath interlock device in your car. What violation are you facing? There is something on the books where you could 
um, face criminal charges. There's a crime for, for doing it, for tampering with the interlock device, for uh, someone committing fraud on it. But I have never in my life practicing law in this jurisdiction for 10 years ever seen somebody charged with interfering with the interlock device. You got another question? No, I don't. Yeah. Just, I was, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, they got a camera in there. It's not, it's not DNA testing. You know, they're not that advanced. They're not. And, um, but I, I think that in and of, of itself changes a lot of people. Uh, and then if you go and get another DUI after that, it's like, oh my God. All right. So if all that wasn't enough, your second offense, you're basically going through that again. So that's not going to be enough, right? And that's when they get tagged with the third offense. And then they go into a diversionary court program. And in that diversionary court program, oh, man, you're talking about three years, three to five years of weekly therapy, weekly counseling, weekly court visits. They got breath interlocks on your car. They got alcohol monitoring on your ankle. You're getting called in for random UAs, 6 a.m., you're calling a number. It's like, hey, the color is green today, right? It's like, oh man, I gotta get, I gotta get down to the your analysis place and give a urine sample now. Uh, to go through that for three years, but you still see some people even come out of that and they still go DUI again, and that's why you have the progression now to once a felon DUI, you're always a felon DUI. No diversion for you anymore. It's mandatory prison two to fifteen years. What does two to fifteen years really mean though? I was quite surprised the first time as a prosecutor that I had a continuing legal education course given by prison officials to tell me what really happens in the prison math of things, right? And basically, you don't serve as much time as you think. Everybody thinks that. But on a Category B felony, which is what child abuse uh, with a DUI is going to get you, that is what uh, DUI death or substantial bodily harm is going to get you, that's what once a felon, always a felon, that's what DUI third. If you're in that program and they terminate you, which happens, you got a Category B felony. What does it really mean? You're not supposed to get any good time off that bottom end of your sentence. So if you're sentenced to two years, you're supposed to do two years, right? Well, come to find out, man, that's not what's happening out here. So the prison has it on nonviolent offenders. There's something called the, I think it's the 365, 367 program. Two years ahead of your parole eligibility date, you can go to a work release program. So you're not going to be in prison anymore. You're actually going to be over at this uh, halfway house, and you're going to be allowed to leave and be back by your curfew. And they're going to be UA and you know giving you UAs, your analysis tests, and you're allowed to leave, leave and work. So you're not actually in prison anymore. Your work release. So that's two years ahead. So if you get sentenced to two years, you're going to be doing that pretty pretty uh pretty soon. And then they have the 305 program that kicks in one year before your parole eligibility date. Well, you're basically on house arrest at that point. You go back to your house. So. I know it sounds like there's doing a lot of time, but that's that's the reality of what's going on in the prison system. And so if you get three years, same thing. You'll do a year. You're not going to be in prison with all the rapists and killers. They have a separate, you know, low security camp that you're going to be be at. And so you go there, you do your year there, and then you go to the halfway house. You do work release for a year, and then you go on house arrest for a year. Still a pretty harrowing experience for somebody like me who, you know, I've never had to go through anything like that. Like, that's a lot of time because... In our lives, there's nothing more valuable to us than time. And that's why the criminal justice system, that's what they do. They take time away from you. They take time from your life away from you. And, uh, yeah, so that's that's a breakdown on DUI law right there for you. Uh, something else. Do you have a choice of a blood or breath test when you're getting arrested for DUI? Absolutely. You absolutely do. You can choose breath or you can choose blood. 
Now, you can't choose breath. If they suspect you have drugs in your system, you're not going to be able to just choose breath. Uh, they're going to be able to require you to do the blood test. Otherwise, you're facing that one-year revocation for not consenting to the test. But you you absolutely have the choice. If you want to get a blood draw instead of a uh, breath test, you can do that. And if you want to get a breath test, they only suspect alcohol instead of a blood draw, you can do that. Now, I'll tell you this. This happened a lot when I was a prosecutor, and it happened a lot when now I'm, I'm a defense attorney. Look, you know if you're out there and you have some substance in your system and you have a little alcohol in your system too, there's absolutely no reason why you should choose a blood test at that point, right? I mean, just think think about that logically. You know, the test for the alcohol, that's the, they can't test your breath for any drugs. They can only test it for alcohol, okay? So when you're making that choice between blood or breath, think about that. Um that's a, that. Does it, if anybody has any questions, we only have a few minutes left in the show, and I kind of want to leave everybody with this. Um, thanks for being trapped in this amber of this hour with me as a ancient mosquito from dinosaur times, and uh, we'll always remember this moment. Uh, OFO, GFN, bike fun guy, you know, I see you in here again. Uh, I want to leave everybody with this because, look, I'm in a period of uh, reinvention in my life, and... I was reading this poem. I'm getting into a little bit of poetry. And this is Charles Bukowski, famous American poet. Horrible alcoholic, man. And very depressed individual. Had a very bleak outlook on life. But this one kind of struck me the other night. And I'm going to give it a read for you. Retired. Pork chops, said my father. I love pork chops. And I watched him slide the grease into his mouth. Pancakes, he said. Pancakes with syrup, butter, and bacon. I watched his lips heavy-wetted with all that. Coffee, he said. I like coffee so hot it burns my throat. Sometimes it was too hot and he spit it out across the table. Mashed potatoes and gravy, he said. I love mashed potatoes and gravy. He jowled that in. His cheeks puffed as if he had the mumps. Chili and beans, he said. I love chili and beans. And he gulped it down and farted for hours loudly, grinning after each fart. Strawberry shortcake, he said, with vanilla ice cream. That's the way to end a meal. He always talked about retirement, about what he was going to do when he retired. When he wasn't talking about food, he talked on and on about retirement. He never made it to retirement. He died one day while standing at the sink filling a glass of water. He straightened like he'd been shot. But the glass fell from his hand and he dropped backwards, landing flat, his necktie slipping to the left. Afterwards, people said they couldn't believe it. He looked great. Distinguished white sideburns, pack of smokes in his shirt pocket, always cracking jokes. Maybe a little loud and maybe with a bit of a bad temper, but all in all a seemingly sound individual. Never missing a day of work. That last line hits really hard, doesn't it? Talked about retirement his whole life, never missed a day of work, and then he died getting a glass of water at the sink. Remember, nothing changes if nothing changes. Okay? Sometimes you have a window of opportunity to do something. Call it what alcoholics refer to as a moment of clarity, a crack in the door. And it's imperative to harness it in the moment before you lose the ability to see through that crack. Look, big life changes require swift action in the heat of passion. Otherwise, the moment passes and you fall back into old patterns and routine. Doubt creeps in. Nothing changes 
if nothing changes. Look, I'm Thomas Moskal. This is the Dread Law Show. Uh, I hope everybody out there is going to be safe. We got EDC out here this weekend. Uh, be careful out there. You know, that ecstasy that's rolling around is not what it used to be. There's a lot of fentanyl going around. People are dying from it. Be careful with that. Try and reinvent yourself. All right. If your girl asks you about a hall pass this weekend, remember Alyssa Milano. That's the safe answer. You never get in trouble for Alyssa Milano. J-Lo. Ah, Numchuck's going to go with J-Lo. Yeah. J-Lo, you got to know your girl. You J-Lo could get you in trouble, depending. Just don't say like a friend yeah. or something, because that's horrible. Yeah, definitely don't. Whoops. Yeah. You don't want to say your office coworker, right? Okay? You pick a celebrity, but Alyssa Milano, that's that's the safe answer. You heard it from me, Thomas Moskal, former chief deputy district attorney. I'm a Las Vegas criminal lawyer here and hosting the Dread Law Show. And let's all out there have a safe Sunday. Watch these NBA playoffs. Heat up 2-0 on those Celtics. Jimmy Butler, that's not the guy you want to talk to. That's what he said in the press conference. He goes, I don't know if I'm the guy that you want to be talking trash to out there. I'm kind of a decent player. I'm kind of a decent player. So, yeah, um, I'll see you guys next week. You can always email me. Thomas at MoscowLaw.com, my website, LasVegasCriminalLawyer.com, LasVegasCriminalLawyer.com, 702-848-5555. I'm not really taking any too, too many cases anymore. I'll be honest with you, I'm not doing that anymore. Um, I'm still taking cases, but I'm kind of at my at my limit for that. I don't I don't run a high volume practice. And I gotta focus on this show, you know? I mean I can't find these Bukowski poems to read you, you know. Remember that poem's all about a life of consumption and thinking about retirement while he's going to work every day and then dying with his necktie on. And I'm about to take this bad boy off. I'm taking the tie off. I'm done for the day. I'm going to hit the gym. Let's go out there and be healthy. I'll see you next week. I am the law. How do you please?